Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello. Howdy doody. How you doing? I'm all right. How you doing? Oh, I can't complain except for the gigantic gash on my shin. Yeah, well, accidents happen. I may be the only person in the world who was maimed by a Mackie 1202 mixer. <laughs> there might be a news group on, on some website that'll help you out. There's always a support group for stuff like that. We'll have to search for that. Yeah, I was taking stuff out of the car in John's driveway and the uh, little mixer we used to mix the show looked like it was going to fall out on the ground, which I didn't want to happen. So I decided to stick my leg in the way, and it's sort of a big metal thing, you know, and uh, it, it cleaved a hunk of skin off of my shin. And the funny thing is, I guess there's not a lot of nerve endings on that skin. You think that's actually not the case when you, you know, hit your shin on something. Mm-hmm. But that's probably just the bone more than anything. But yeah, it yeah. cleaved a hunk of skin, and I don't even feel it. It's big. That's that cut was over an inch long, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, you're definitely definitely going to need a uh, cover up tattoo for that thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, it doesn't hurt at all. There just must not be a lot of nerve endings down there. No, I have a wooden chair today. It squeaks, so forgive that. I forgive you. Okay, you actually have had it in the past. Yeah, but I know how to keep still. John, he's like he's like Shaolin DJ over here. You know, he knows how to walk on rice paper and not break it, and sit in wooden chairs and not make them squeak. Yes, and I've perfected my palm of death maneuver as well. Yeah, well, I know the Vulcan death grip. So <laughs> there you go. So what's in the intro today? Geez, there's so many things we can talk about. Tour de France. <laughs> We've got lots of news. I mean, there's the tour, some more tour stuff. World War Three has started. All yeah, sorts well, of cool things yeah, and in the, in just like the past few weeks, we have not had to change uh, the top line of our little whiteboard for the intro. You know, when it was Tour de France World Cup, it stayed that way for a couple of weeks, and it it said Tour de France last week because last week was when it ended, and it still says Tour de France except I put a question mark at the end of it since right. Landis's uh, victory is perhaps in question. There was a a uh, out of balance epitestosterone testosterone ratio his a sample his p in a cup sample a came up as being abnormal or what what's the word they use what's that great euphemism out of balance no no it's out of it, whack yeah totally whacked yeah it's <laughs> just you know i can't even think of the word but so I guess he has submitted in writing the request for them to test the B test, and then they have 10 days to perform that test. So I guess we won't know anything until that B test comes back at, at this point in time. Yeah, so it looks like he may have either been doping or has been duped. He's, he's either doping or he's not. That's right. Well, I saw him on Larry King, and I don't want to be a big conspiratorial theory guy either, but Armstrong called in and talked about uh, talked about Floyd and how he believes he's a great rider and didn't need to dope to win that stage, blah, blah, blah. And Armstrong bothered to point out that the lab that performed the test on his A sample was the same lab that botched up all of those tests, which had apparently false positives in mm-hmm. like the 2002 samples that uh, Armstrong gave. 
So who knows? I mean, maybe this lab is just incompetent. Maybe there's somebody there who doesn't I'm want. Take. Yeah, I mean, there's a million. I mean, I, I don't. I'd like to believe he didn't do it. I mean, the guy's a Mennonite. I mean, geez, if there's anybody who shouldn't be lying in this world, it's somebody who with with deep religious conviction and you know the, their whole lifestyle is about simplicity and truth and, and all that good stuff so you know i guess this needs to play out a little more i'm behind him i'm standing behind him until otherwise although the the one comment he did make sort of um flies in the face of the the whole mennonite background he said he had that horrible stage and then what did he do when he got back to the, got the, hammered. the hotel, hotel room he had some jack daniels well he had two beers and four jack daniels <laughs> i think was actually the final numbers on that you know yeah and and oddly enough they're saying that that may have actually thrown his his epitestosterone ratio out of whack as well because well alcohol his physician was on larry king live in the studio with larry and uh floyd was from uh spain he was uh, via satellite from spain hmm. and the physician actually came out and said this he said while we're not claiming that the alcohol is what messed up this test there is published literature that shows that this can happen so they're not really using it as their defense but apparently there is some literature out there that uh, possibly uh, you know shows that that can happen so but I've again got a theory what's your theory well what doesn't armstrong have um a rockstar girlfriend well, no longer, but he had something removed from his body. Armstrong is, I believe, missing a testicle. That's right. Yeah. So maybe the, he passed that on to Landis, kind of like a passing of the torch, and that sort of bumped up his levels. <laughs> He's, so Landis is flying with three right now? <laughs> that's right. So it's not Jim and the twins, it's Jim and the triplets these days that's with Landis. Correct. Wow. That's correct. Well, that's an interesting theory. I just want to throw out a couple of my own theories. If you're going to dope, why dope with testosterone? That's the first thing they look for. It shows up in saliva, probably. They can probably test saliva mm-hmm. for that ratio. Blood, certainly. Urine, certainly. If you were going to risk everything, and by everything, I mean, look what Landis did. The, the day he went into the yellow jersey in the Tour de France this year, he announced the Floyd Landis Foundation, which is a degenerative bone disease foundation. Why would you put your reputation, the rep- reputation of the, your new foundation, which you're you're going to hopefully do great things with, uh, why would you put that at risk and, and dope with something that they can check for instantly? You know right. what I mean? If you're going to dope, dope with something that you've read on the Internet is something they can't search for or something like that, you know? Yeah. It just doesn't add up. But at the same time, what what else – what doesn't also doesn't add up is that, you know, his, his argument is that it's naturally occurring, this ratio being out of balance. But none of his other tests were flagged either. And if if you're in the Tour de France – and you win a stage, you pee in a cup. Mm-hmm. If you're the yellow jersey leader, you pee in a cup. So he went in and out of the yellow several times. He won a stage. I think he probably got tested four or five times in the in the race. So he knew he was under the microscope, literally. Yeah, and which is another thing. He knows he's going to be tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, for anyone at this stage in the game, because literally, not only does the sport have a lot of focus on the on the testing going on, but, I mean, an American is is under the microscope uh, armstrong for the, his previous victories he's under the microscope for it so landis is not going to want to put that at risk either you know so yeah the I only don't... theory that possibly makes sense and i'm not saying anybody did this but i work with a guy who's a natural power lifter bodybuilder guy and he knows a lot just from reading the magazines that he reads he knows a lot about the techniques you mm-hmm. can't not know about them if you're a body and you know what i mean you just learn about it from being involved in the activity and he said there are some injectables that have like a 36-hour half-life. So maybe an athlete who wants to get a lot of recovery overnight shoots himself up after 
the the day. You know, they shoot themselves up at like 5 p.m. when they get off the bike, and they um, maybe their thinking is this: Well, geez, it's got a 36 hour half life. Well, tomorrow I'm going to drink a lot of water. I'm going to be doing a lot of metabolizing. Maybe I can pass it in 24 hours. That's the only thing that makes sense to uh, my friend. The, uh, the we've spent a lot of time talking about this at work, and it, nothing makes sense. So he's just as he's not even a cycling fan, but he's as eager to find out what's going on with this as anybody else. But anyway, I don't want to spend too much time. Yeah, but that's still a that. risk. I mean, absolutely, it's still a risk. And, but and I don't know if I would. I would but do that's that. a little more palatable than I'm definitely going to get caught. Maybe I can beat this. Is still less risky than I'm definitely going to get caught. You know, that's that's the only point I have. So I'm watching TV the other day, which I rarely do. And I see you a say commercial. that every time you say that. I know, but I, I rarely I'm, do. And watch you're always TV. watching TV, but you rarely do it. No. So anyways, I, so well, if I sit down when I get off the bike and I'm warming down, I usually turn on the TV while I'm warming down, drink water. So I see a commercial, and I'm looking. I'm going, well, "Is this Saturday Night Live? This can't be real." I swear. And it's the NASCAR Technology Institute. <laughs> Have you seen this commercial? No. I thought it was a joke. It's like a bunch of guys with beer bellies and like, you know, like Skinnered shirts sitting around (laughs) like tuning a carburetor. And it's real. It's a real school. Are you serious? I swear. So you can learn how to be a tuner? So you can learn to go work for a NASCAR team. I mean, I was like, I honestly didn't know at first if it was real or not. Am I on Comedy Central? What that channel is this? Oh, man, that's insane. Yeah, you can look it up uh, later. And uh, what was the other thing that made me laugh? Um, Dan Marino is doing a commercial for some weight loss, one of those things you get involved with where they send you your meals. Oh, yeah. And and uh, they send you your meals for like a month, and it costs money, and you exercise, and then you lose weight. And this one was targeted towards men. And I found it really funny because they were like, yes, you can eat manly foods. <laughs> and they were showing like pizza and hamburgers. And Because uh, men don't eat quiche. That's right. That was a book in the 80s. And they cut to the guys before and after photos. And like, you know, they do like four or five of those before and after photos with the guy, the actual person in the photos saying things like, it worked for me. Except most of them say, improved my sex life. As they right, show like right. a hot dog on the screen or something, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not kidding. And I was like, is this for real? I mean, it was it was ridiculously like slanted for men. And I mean, yep. I thought it, it had so many comedic overtones. I went, I can't even believe this. Yeah, it, it's great because whenever you see the, the, the commercials that are targeted towards women, they always want to do that. You know, it'll improve your shape. You'll yeah, fit into your clothes better and, and, and all that. You won't be ashamed to go out anymore. By the pool. Right, and then for men, stuff. it's always, it'll improve your sex life. It'll help you get babes. Eat manly foods like hamburgers and hot dogs. And the other show, Beer which chili. I recently discovered, which I actually am going to start taping and watching, <laughs> is a show on the, it's a reality show on the sci-fi channel called So You Want to Be a Superhero? I caught a little bit of that, this and I'm is, embarrassed to say that this was something that I just couldn't look away from. <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like 12 people, I don't know if they fancy themselves as superheroes or they just, decided to uh sign every up for sing- this. every last one of them is socially inept and you know that they have nothing else in their life going on so they created these characters and the right. host of the show is stan lee of marvel comic fame and i guess if you win this maybe you get some money and they actually do make a comic book about your character unbelievable and people on this show i know and i already have a favorite <laughs> that's the sad part i really want major victory to win <laughs> Major Victor. He's such a dork, but he's got the classic Superman look about him. That's you know? right. He's got that plastic hair. And the, the guy that makes me laugh the most, though, is the Iron 
the muscle guy with the gigantic gun. Yeah, a giant the, gun. This plastic and, gun. And then Stanley has to keep reminding him, superheroes don't kill people. We rescue people, <laughs> right. Iron Enforcer. Iron Enforcer. And then there's like these women um, who kind of have like sexy costumes that kind of show off their body. And one of them is named Monkey Woman. And I'm just like, what is her superpower? What is her? She can squeak like a monkey. That's, uh, that's the thing that she demonstrated. Well, I know. I heard it. But then I was thinking her real power must be that she has Tarzan as a friend or something because he must do all the work because she just doesn't seem <laughs> to exhibit any real superpowers you know the the guy with the best costume is a guy named feedback his actual costume is actually really cool it looks like they put some money into it oh which one was that i can't remember it's sort of black it's got lots of padding on the arms and it has oh, like a the, lime green f like a uh, stylized f on it or or is he the the blue and black themed guy i can't remember i know that one just got kicked off and the guy who got green and black the guy who got kicked off was um Oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he was a young kid. Or yeah, something. he did a. They did a stunt where he, uh, a bunch of people ignored the screaming girl. <laughs> That's right. And he got kicked off because although the other people who um, didn't do it missed the screaming girl, he also c- uh, committed another infraction, and he was supposed to change into his uniform in a private place, <laughs> and he did it like in the middle of a park or something. That's right. So anyway, I set the VCR to tape this thing. No, I don't have TiVo, and um, it just looks so ridiculous. I just am dying to know what monkey woman's magic powers are and and then, i don't know my favorite one that was the, the woman called fat mama oh yeah yeah and, and she's <laughs> sort of large and doesn't look all that superhero-ish no and and she she claims that you know eating bad food gives her energy and around her waist she has like donuts hanging oh, off of velcro just, straps that's just wrong yeah i don't know whose idea that was and then when they had this meeting it was kind of like a real world meeting at the house did you see that part I don't think I saw it. No, and there's this one girl who's like her complete opposite. Her name is The Creature. She's got that long, blonde, dreadlock-looking... And she says that she's into, you know, raw foods and, and natural living and everything. And she just gave this fat mama this look. She's like, what does this, what does it do for you? And she's like, you know, I think I'm a little bit afraid to have that be an example for her kids. A woman who's proud to be large and showing people that diet. yeah have a donut and it'll make you have superpowers actually in in retrospect thinking about this a little more there's a guy with like a roman costume he has tyveculus like, and i i know that's his name and when i heard that i just thought testiculus you know i was no. like what no, is for this me, guy's name i'm thinking he was probably sitting around and he saw like a, a an eastern mountain sports catalog and there was a, a rain jacket that was had tyvek on it tyveculus i love the the helm though the helm is great yeah he's a firefighter i think it's, it's it's so ridiculous. The, the The only real observation I have about the characters, other than what we said, is the Iron Enforcer guy looks like he he has like a real wound on one of his pecs. He like wears no shirt, mm-hmm. and his right pectoral looks like it has a gouge out of it. You know, like yeah. he had some bizarre surgery or something. Either that, or it was a weightlifting injury or something. Yeah, and and actually that's great though because all Marvel superheroes have a backstory where there's something that happened to them, you know, the medical incident that turned David Banner into the Hulk. So they might be able to work that injury <laughs> into his You're putting way too much thought into this. Well, but that's that's right. All these characters have something that either made their personality what it is or some, you know, I got zapped by radiation and now I can become a spider or turn into a giant green guy, you know? Actually, what they should do is they should kick him off the show and then they should have a spin-off show where he becomes the super villain. With that gigantic gun. That's right. <laughs> That's because ridiculous He thing. wants to get revenge on Stan Lee for kicking him off the show. Absolutely. Well, anyway, let's, let's, oh, we'll talk about that next week again and see who got kicked off. Anyway, what do we got? We got a tune? Yeah, from my favorite Israeli prog rockers. This is called Vivaldi by 
Trespass. Oh, let's check it out.
Yeah. That's right out of ELP's playbook. It is. And I just want to, for the sake of our show's reputation, point out that if you heard any distortion, it's their recording, not ours. Yeah, we wish we could get a better uh, recording out of some of these guys. That's one thing that we have to say about a lot of the music we get for free. You know, if we have to complain at all, is the recording quality could be a little bit better. Some are yeah, I occasionally amazing. remaster and do some work to make them sound a little better, but not sure there's much I can do for that distortion. There are some plugins to get rid of distortion. I'll have to try to find some. Yes, a lot of that was just low end, was all sorts of uh, garbled. I don't even know what the technical term is. Muddy. Yeah, muddy. Wooly is one Wooly. of my engineer friends would Fuzzy. say. Fuzzy. A little bit pregnant at 200 hertz. Pregnant. That's what I say. <laughs> so we have a, a, a topic for the middle section of the show here. Speaking of superheroes. Speaking of superheroes. And while the the verdict is still out on Mr. Floyd Landis, it was sort of the inspiration for our topic. And I just kind of fired off an email to John and said we should talk about whatever happened to heroes, you know. Who are heroes? What whatever happened to them? Are there any heroes left? I mean, or is everybody just a money grubbing scumbag who's only out for themselves? You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, if 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 you were going to cheat in a in an athletic event, you, why are you doing it? You know, you're doing mm-hmm. it ultimately probably for money to get to get your face on the Wheaties box and and all of the endorsements that go stuff, with it. Though. I mean, I don't know if that's the the primary motivation. I know a lot of athletes. Well, it's probably some of their primary. You know. Certainly. It's in the top five. Yeah, and it's going to be different. The primary reason is going to be different for everyone. Yeah. But I don't even mean this in the in the context of athletics, you know. I guess what? In the 60s, astronauts were heroes, you know. Well, I mean, I mean maybe that's what we should do. That, that's how I responded to the email was, all right, maybe what we should do is, is list what are the qualities that we as individuals feel make someone a hero. Well, I think integrity is something that every person should have, you know. They they shouldn't be lying and they should have some honor and some integrity. And that and that stems from uh a self-worth and mm-hmm. a um I, I had it on the tip of my tongue and it just it just went away. Confidence. Self-confidence and just self-respect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you respect yourself, why are you going to lie and why are you going to cheat at whatever uh, endeavor you're cheating at? Yeah, for me, it's selflessness. Selflessness, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, unfortunately, in our society, we look at a lot of sports people as heroes. Yeah, like we and look that's... up to that, and 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 you see a lot of this on teams. You see a lot of this, uh, well, baseball teams, football teams, basketball teams. You see a lot of people who are working together for the good of the team, and the reason why I feel that so many people are no longer qualified as as I don't know, heroes in, in the sports realm today is because, one, for me, football has a lot to do with showboating. You know, you get the touchdown, you slam it in the end zone, you dance around, prance around. It's all about the guy catching catching the, the, the football in the end zone. It's not about what did it make to, to put that play together. How did you help put that play together? It's about the guy who made the touchdown. Right. Basketball, it's about slam dunking. Yeah, it's about the, it's the about dunk. the bling these days. It's who's got the biggest contract, and even in baseball, unfortunately, it's about moving from team to team, getting your contract. It's not about starting with a team and sticking with a team, and you know, for better or worse, staying with that team and making that team better. It's about okay, I've I've done my part. I've I've pumped up my stats this year, and now I'm going to sign a bigger contract with the Yankees. And you know, I, I don't want to even spend more than a minute talking about 
sports-enhancing drugs, but, I mean, they're in every sport. Mm -hmm. Probably not so much in basketball because it's not necessarily a strength thing, but some of the big men might be doing it. Mm -hmm. But, obviously, there's a lot of... uh, certainly a lot of baseball talk about steroids in the past year. And I mean, if they're not doing it in football, they're not doing it anywhere. I mean, right. you just got to be big and strong in football. And I, I would, I would postulate or not postulate. I would just come out and say that anybody who's using a, a drug, I mean, it's not a level playing field anymore. Nope. And it's, it's just, you know, you, you can get so strong on these, these, these steroids and whatnot you're going so far beyond what the human body was intended for. I mean, injuries go up, you're injuring yourself, stressing right. your joints more, but also injuring your opponents because you're like the Hulk. You're strong. Well, wow, full circle. <laughs> you're the Hulk and you're just stronger than everybody else, you know? Yeah. But well, I mean, that, that's also part of the self, well, it's the selfishness. It's not the selflessness because all you want to do is pump up your stats and get your performance in the short term so that you can get that paycheck, yeah. sign that five-year deal, and then you don't care about those And it's a lack years. of self-respect That's because right. you're damaging your body when you're doing these drugs. It's as mm-hmm. simple as that. I mean, if you are using a, like a testosterone injectable, you're stressing your liver. If you're doing steroids, obviously you're stressing your liver mm-hmm. and you're shrinking your testicles, no, whatever. But you know, you're getting larger muscles and you're getting stronger, but you, you, there are many prices to pay for doing this. But I never liked the idea of athletes as heroes. You know? I just never no. did. You know, what about the guy down the street who is a big brother? Right. You know, or a fireman you know, who walks into a burning building to save, you know, your family member or something like that. And yes, after 9-11, guys like that started getting more credit, but they've always been the heroes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and maybe it's because for me, and and I'm not saying that I I idolize sports people or I think that they are heroes or they should be looked up as heroes, but I think that sports can be looked at as a a little microcosm of humanity. You know, you have the people who don't, who do the things that we as individuals can't do. I mean, physically, they're just head and shoulders above the common man. The other thing is they are working towards a common goal on team sports. You see them day in, day out, doing a lot of hard work for the most part. So, I mean, you, you have the, the competition aspect of it. You have people who are failing and then coming back from the failure. So I think that people get wrapped up in that and they look at those individuals as heroes. I I think that they could be admired for the work that they do. I don't necessarily look at them as heroes. Well, what they do off the field might make them a hero exactly. in my eyes, but not necessarily what they do on the field. I mean, Sammy yep. Sosa, after the some of the hurricanes in um, the islands, uh, Puerto Rico and— Oh, uh, yeah, Dominican Republic. Yeah, and- you know, when, when there's—we're a bunch of—he's hur- Dominican, I think, yep. right? He spent so much of his personal income and just organized all food drives and, and fundraising for the people down there who were, you know, these are just plain poor people, you right. know. And he, he just did all this. And, and that's what makes Sammy Sosa a hero. Unfortunately, he's probably one of the guys who was juicing. I mean, he was just gigantic. Right. Well, and then you look at people like Roberto Clemente. He became a hero not because of his exploits on the field. And he was a great baseball player for, yeah. the, for the Pirates. Right fielder, right? I believe so. And, yeah, and one of the best. He, yep. And near the end of his career, he went and spent all of his money, well, not all of it, but a lot of his money to help the the people who are suffering in, the in uh, I think it was Central America, and he gave his life literally for that because he got on a plane that was filled with supplies. It was going to help people, poor people, starving people, and the plane crashed. That's what made him a hero, not because you know he was uh, he had a great arm. 
And he did. <laughs> and he did. He had a great arm. Absolutely. And I like when these guys actually do something. It seems there's there's a lot of athletes who have children who have uh, a rare disease and they start foundations. Mm-hmm. Of course, Doug Flutie, I think his son has autism or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's actually a, a football quarterback, I forget his name, whose daughter has celiac disease and he's mm-hmm. actually getting involved in the the gluten-free thing and then I mean, you know, we could talk about something I'm a little more knowledgeable about, Lance Armstrong Foundation, you know. That's he's right. trying to raise a billion dollars. His goal right now is not through the government. He already asked Bush for a billion and was turned down. Right. He's trying to, you know, by selling these little yellow bracelets like I have on here, these little bracelets, he's trying, and, and other uh, fundraising resources, he wants to raise a billion dollars. He wants to cure cancer by 2015. That's his number. It was like 2015 or 2018, you know? And when you, when you have a concerted effort and you have a lot of resources thrown at a problem, you can solve a significant portion of it, if not all of it, you know? I mean... Yeah. And, so, I mean, for me, I think my heroes is I was, when I was a kid... They were the astronauts of the Apollo missions. Yeah, the, I well, I'm as big a space geek as the next guy, and uh, definitely, yeah, I always wanted to be an astronaut. And I, I suspect they were a lot of people's heroes. You know, in mm-hmm. the '60s, we had our sports heroes too, but this was new. You know, these guys yeah. were like they were played up in Life magazine, like you know, bigger than life. You know, uh, the original Mercury Seven. Yep. They they got a big spread in like Life or, or something like that, and uh, suddenly they were you know Kennedy's speech about uh, getting uh, to the moon before the decade is out, and mm-hmm. suddenly these guys are on the front page of every paper. They're athletic. They're smart. And they're great pilots. Yeah, and for me, that was part of it because they were the whole package because you had someone who, it wasn't just some dumb jock, I hate to use the phrase, but it wasn't some dumb jock who can throw a ball into a hoop. These were really smart guys. Yeah, they all have degrees in astrophysics and and aeronautical engineering. They're the best pilots in the world. Right. And they're great uh, physical specimens too. Yeah, very brave. Clearly. Because literally they're putting their life on the line every single day because, I mean, at that time it was completely unknown. It wasn't like space was something that we had our hand on. I mean, even though we don't have too much of a handle on it (laughs) right now. (laughs) Still people dying, unfortunately. But still, I mean, you're talking about anytime you you do a first, these are literally going out onto the frontier, putting their lives on the line. And it was, you know, even though there was the space race going on against the, you know, those nasty Russians, I think that it still was for the betterment of mankind because we were learning things that we didn't know before. We were exploring our space. We we're exploring our, our environment around our planet. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. For me, uh, astronauts always were, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't see them in quite the same light from a, personal perspective i i think going up in the space shuttle isn't as interesting to me because it really doesn't go anywhere it, now <laughs> just, it's just a truck yeah it goes up into low earth orbit and it kind of chills for a week and then it comes back down and you know i want to go to the moon i want to go back to mars or i want to go back to the moon and go to mars they're working or on it one or the other what i find very interesting and not to get too far off this topic we're a little but, off what I find interesting is that they're going back to the the earlier designs of the Apollo mission, and they're saying, you know what, that worked because it was simple. Yeah, the uh, Earth. Well, actually, we used lunar orbit rendezvous. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do a, an Earth orbit rendezvous, lunar orbit rendezvous hybrid. <laughs> right. So they're going instead of launching both craft and then having them transpose and dock, they're going to launch each craft on a separate uh, heavy lift booster. Then they're going to uh, meet in Earth orbit, and then of course they're going to do their lunar orbit injection. And yeah, but instead of trying to have this thing that looks cool like an airplane flies up into space and it can come back and land, and it, we were told it was going to save us a lot of money because right. it's reusable, and because of all the complexities, it ended up being 
a boondoggle, so to speak. Yeah. But now they're saying, you know what? How about we go with the simple design of pieces that you can fly up there. They do exactly what they're supposed to do and nothing more. And then they go into to lunar orbit, they land, they come off the, the, the lunar surface, and they come back and they rendezvous, and that's all they're supposed to do. They're very efficient, and they're not—I mean, they're—they're they're not cheap, but they're—they're they're cheap in terms er. of—they're—they're they're probably an order of magnitude cheaper than the space shuttle missions. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that's what I'm excited about because that's going to get us out into space faster. I think, as cool as the space shuttle was, it's sort of. I think it uh, actually put the damper on on the space technology because, you know, it costs so much. Every flight costs so much. Yeah, I was never that excited about it. I mean, I was excited about it as a kid because it was what we were doing in space after we scuttled Apollo, Mm -hmm. you know. So you kind of had to be excited about it by default because that's all there was. And it was a cool design. I mean, it wasn't anything like we were doing before. But as I sort of got older and got more interested in exploration the real exploration angle of it it doesn't really go anywhere so i was just like you know what we need to go back somewhere cool but anyway heroes yeah don't look to athletes <laughs> yeah and, and there you know are what? some athletes who are heroes like we were pointing out all these guys who selflessly work and they have these foundations and they put yeah. a lot of their money uh spending it you know helping people great stuff yeah and you see a lot of it today still i mean I watch the Yankees games all the time. You'll see that they have commercials for Joe Torre, the, the the manager of the Yankees. He's got a foundation to help against domestic violence. And then you see a lot of the other guys like Mariano Rivera. I think he's got a foundation. He's got one in Panama. Yeah. And he's got he's a, a baseball school in Panama. I saw him interviewed. It was really kind of cool. That's right. A lot of these guys give back to the communities that they're from, which is great because a lot of them now coming from, from Latin America, the Dominican Republic, they will take tons of their money, which goes a long way in the Dominican Republic. Sure. And they will open up schools. They'll open up foundations. You know, I think Ozzy Guillen is putting a ton of money back into the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. And it's, we all can be heroes in our own way. Be the right. big brother, be the big sister, that kind of stuff. But it's important for these guys just because they have celebrity. That's right. Lance Armstrong actually has the ability to raise a billion dollars with his celebrity. That's and right. that's huge. And if there's one thing that needs to be cured, I would say cancer's you know, up there in terms of one of the, the most widespread diseases. You know, there's so many types of cancer. Yeah, if you don't have it yourself, you know someone who does. Absolutely you do. And the the great thing about science and, and discovery and research in general is this one of my favorite words. It's serendipity. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to find things that are useful in researching, you know, Lance Armstrong's testicular cancer, they're going to find things uh, that apply to other cancers, and they're going to find things that apply to muscular dystrophy. They're going to find things that are going to help people with with any sort of disease. So it's really important to fund these kinds of research just because you never know what you're going to get. You're going to get all these great discoveries, some of them you weren't looking for, which is the definition of serendipity. Yeah, and uh, Charles Barkley has always said, don't <laughs> look up to The round mound rebound. That's right. Don't Sir look up Charles, to me. don't yeah. look up to me as, as a hero. Unfortunately, you know, and that saying got that taken out of context, yeah. everybody was like, "Well, yeah, you are a hero. You're you're on TV every day." But he was like, "No, these kids' parents should be their heroes. Their teachers should be their heroes." That was his point. Yeah, he's he wants people to realize that sports heroes are they might be heroes within the realm of sports, but within the realm of humanity, he says, "I don't want to be a role model." Yeah, and I think he was absolutely right. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. You know, people should look at their parents. I think that that people should every day look at their parents and see what they do. You know, how much work they put into, you know, getting their kids to school every day, putting food on the table. I think those are heroic acts. And I'm saying this as a parent because I want to be a hero. Um, <laughs> we don't need another hero. Those, 
No, we need more Tina. heroes. But I think that every day people are performing heroic acts. And like I said, for me. And they're nameless people, you know? And that's they're right. everywhere. All you need to do yeah. is look around your neighborhood, you know, to probably find heroes, you know? The guy who rescues the cat out of the tree. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. Firemen do that. I, I saw a tree a down and they let it drop on them. <laughs> so for me, it's the two things, you know, being selflessness, selflessness or selfless. Yeah. And, and, you know, anonymity goes a long way too. doing it without asking for the reward, doing it without asking to have it's your picture put charity. in the paper. It's not charity. Uh, the only true charity is anonymous charity because That's if you're right. doing it to get your name in the paper, it's not charity. It's a tax deduction. That's right. You know? So there you go. That's our topic yeah. on heroes. And hopefully uh, Mr. Floyd Landis will remain a sports hero. We'll have to see how those tests come out. Yeah, if you've got I'm any still, heroes. I'm standing by him. I am standing by Floyd Landis. I don't see any Floyd Landis standing near you. Well, there's a cardboard cutout around the corner. Yeah. Well, we'll, have a, we'll have a picture on the website. What I was going to say is if, if you've got a hero, we'd like to hear about you know what yeah. your definition of hero is Absolutely. And, and who they are. If there's know. someone in particular or just your, your model of what a hero is or a superhero even, yeah, you could be on Stan Lee's show on the Sci-Fi channel. If, if you idolize the Iron Enforcer, then I'd love to hear why because I want to <laughs> slap you. <laughs> or Monkey Woman. But anyway, we got another tune. Uh, actually, I just want to tell you all to go out and be heroes. But right now we're going to play a tune by the Spankers. Excelsior. <laughs> What's this one called? The Minor Waltz. Let's check it out.
there you go. I love that big bass drum. (laughs) The minor waltz. And yes, she was playing a saw. And I've seen her do that three or four times now. It's a dangerous activity. It's got it, it can be, yeah. Especially I mean, if it's, it's a power saw. Well, I know, yeah. If she's playing a Makita or something. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's just a good old fashioned hand saw, a cross cut saw with a bow. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a quite a little. Uh, How do you tune trick. that? Um, strobe tuner. <laughs> you know, I can't believe you said that. There, there is no tuning. It's it's all her ear, <laughs> which actually makes it all the more remarkable. It's like playing a bottleneck slide. It, yeah, exactly. Or uh, I don't know, playing a, a plank. No, 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 I'm just making that up. So I saw a film, Sketches of Frank Gehry. It's a Sidney Pollock film, and I love Sidney Pollock, so I was like, this is going to be kind of cool. And it, it wasn't uh, a bold film. I mean, it didn't air any of Frank Gehry's Dirty Laundry. It was kind of a, a history of his his education. And his career as an architect, showing a lot of work, interviewing him, talking to him about the ideas that shaped the shapes. <laughs> That's what he's known for, shapes. Yeah, he's into uh, he's into shapes, and I find some of them a little incongruous. Some of the buildings have shapes that, to my brain, go, huh? But, you know, I just don't have that visual eye. Yeah, if you've never heard of Frank Gehry before, look him up. That's uh, G-E-H-R-Y. Actually, just check out this film. It's It's a nice piece of work. There were a, a couple of buildings in there that I liked more than others. Well, actually, John and I were talking about this before. What was the example uh, that you gave, Bilbao? Yeah, yeah there's the uh, Museum of Fine Art in Bilbao. And it's an exquisite structure, art. but there's so much going on in the design of that building. It sort of overwhelms my brain. You know, I don't know yeah. what to look at. Well, it, I think it's a beautiful structure. And I think, to, for me, that's his prototypical shape he's that's, got, his, that's what he does yeah, yeah you see yeah. that and you immediately know that it's frank gary yeah and i i guess i actually don't want to talk about this film too much uh, i would i would definitely recommend it a because Sidney pollock's in it quite frequently and he's a great actor director and i've always been a fan of his he's an interesting character yeah he definitely is but this actually reminded me of a film i saw which was another documentary about an architect it was a film called my architect and it was about the architect louis Kahn, and it was made by his son sort of the black sheep from the first marriage who didn't get too involved in the family and this film was a, a little more interesting to me just because it aired a little more of the dirty laundry and you know the son didn't actually know because I, I believe Louis Kahn is dead mm-hmm. so the son didn't actually get to know the dad that well and in making this documentary he he learned things as we learned them I mean he had he was rolling tape and somebody would tell him something and then he was just as surprised at learning it as we were so I guess in many ways these films should be watched back to back I would definitely recommend seeing them both because they're both insights into an interesting mind you know both yep. Louis Kahn's and and uh, Frank Gehry's and they're both world renowned architects and generally loved by um, the architectural circles although they did in, in this film this Frank Gehry film they did uh, interview a naysayer they interviewed a a writer for Architecture Magazine or something who is not a Frank Gehry fan and, I heard about that yeah and it's not like he came out and said Frank Gehry's an SOB and I hate him he gave you know reasoned arguments about why he doesn't think uh, Gehry is the architect that the rest of the world uh, seems to think he is he's certainly popular these days yeah and like you and I talked about briefly Eisner when he was still the head of Disney it's like any time a building needed to be done Eisner hired Gehry and you know the, the, there's a concert hall I think in LA Mm-hmm. That's uh, a Geary design, which I thought was stunning. It was staggering. It was beautiful. He designed the Anaheim Ducks practice hockey rink, and that's actually kind of cool. But, you know, those are, are 
modest designs. Well, not the symphony hall, but the the right. hockey rink is a modest design by by Gary's standards. You know, it doesn't yeah. have all the form and the impact that uh, certainly that Bilbao uh, Spanish Museum has. So anyway, definitely check out both those films, Sketches of Frank Gehry. A uh, very friendly look at Frank Gehry's life and career. And, and if you want to uh, find architect. out, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, if you want to find out about another architect who's a little bit of a wacko, um, look into any film or any documentary about Frank Lloyd Wright. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, not only was he an amazing architect and designer and, and thinker, he was a bit of a psychopath. <laughs> I don't know that much about the guy. <laughs> yeah. But I love falling water. Yeah, falling water's cool, and it's falling apart, unfortunately, and people are trying to preserve it. Yeah, it's, that is a masterpiece. <laughs> well, what a I great mean, design. With that design, I could go on and on about that, but um, with that building, he pretty much revolutionized the way that structures are built today Yeah, with cantilever design. Oh, and actually, something else I just wanted to say was architects like this are great just because they're stretching the bounds of architecture, mm-hmm. and they're really having to make structural engineers think. You know, when Frank Gehry comes up with these designs, and he'll literally do it by taking colored paper, scissors, and scotch tape (laughs) and start assembling buildings with his collaborators. And he has two architects in his firm that are are his collaborators. So you come up with these very odd-looking structures. Sometimes they're quite odd-looking in terms Mm -hmm. of their shape. You know, they're no right angles, you know, right. things like that. You know, we all, most structural engineers like right angles. They're strong and they work, but this really makes structural engineers have to think, you know, to, to actually build these buildings. Well, and, and not only are they, they stretching the bounds of structural engineers, but just for the actual construction phase itself, none of this stuff can be mass produced because it's so unique. Yeah, it's very one off. Yeah, I yeah. saw there was a, a show a little bit about um, what was going on with the construction of this, I think it's called the Jimi Hendrix Experience. It's, it's in Seattle, another Frank Gehry building that Paul Allen funded. And the whole thing has this skin of different metals, kind of like... He loves uh, that. Yeah. yeah. But because there are no right angles and all these weird undulating shapes, every single one of those panels had to be handmade from scratch because they they weren't rectangles that can just be mass produced and fit together so with gary's design you get something that is not only strange and unusual but in most cases it's a little bit more time consuming to to develop oh i would definitely say that yeah there's a lot of time involved in building uh those buildings but anyway check out both of those films my architect and uh the frank gary film and uh i think that's a show i think it's a wrap yeah well, it's official now. There's no stopping it at this point. Yep. You've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians yet again. This is Rich Wilgus. John Tellerico. And collectively, we uh, we hate Louis Kahn. <laughs> I have and no Frank feelings Gary. towards <laughs> Louis Kahn whatsoever. Yeah, you should see that film, though. Definitely rent My Architect if you haven't seen it. I but will. anyway, check us out on the web www.bloodyveg.com. Send us all sorts of feedback. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. I'm Tell a, us about your heroes, I'm your a, favorite architects. I'm apologizing up front here because I've sort of dropped out of the forum and, and everything else for a while. Battling an illness. And that's why I'm not drinking today. That's right. No wine today. So I'm not ignoring people. I'm just trying to recover. Yeah. And he seems to be doing well, except for the giant abscess on the side of his cheek. <laughs> or is that chewing tobacco? Anyway, it's chalk. just remember. You're listening to VIB. 